0: So I hope you'll join us tonight at 6.30 here in the South Auditorium as we give thanks to God for his goodness to us and we praise him for being our Heavenly Father. As the Lord's Prayer was scrolled in front of you, that will be our theme tonight. We're going to praise and pray our way through the Lord's Prayer. And to prepare us for tonight, and I genuinely do Hope that you'll come and be a part with us tonight Uh, to prepare us for tonight to be a response to the Word of God. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer from the Scriptures this morning. And so if you have a copy of the Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures with you, we'll have the Scripture up here on the screen. But we always invite you to bring your own. And if you need a Bible, we'd be glad to give you one. Just go by. The equipping tables out there in the courtyard, and we'd be glad to give a copy of the scriptures to you. So, when it comes to praying, the Lord's Prayer is simply the prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples how to pray. But often we miss that right before he showed them how to pray, he taught them. The key to prayer. So the key to prayer in Matthew chapter 6 before the Lord's prayer in verse 9, the key to prayer is this, verse 7. When you are praying, use as many words as possible, for God loves a cheerful giver and a really, really, really long prayer. <laughs> now obviously, that's not that's how verse 7 starts. That's not how it finishes. And I know that most of us would go, oh, no, that's not true. But I start that way because actually, though we know it's not true, that's a reality that keeps lots of people from feeling comfortable praying. Now, I don't mean by yourself, but whether you're in a small group or in a class or whether we have a time to pray tonight, there's this thought of, well, I don't have that much to say. And it feels awkward to just, like if you're the designated prayer Thursday for the big meal, you feel like, man, I got to like make this good. But really what's in your heart is, wow, God, that looks great. I can't wait to eat it. See, are you allowed to pray stuff like that? You can, but we feel awkward praying stuff like that because that's not long enough or, or spiritual enough we got to add the other filler stuff so that people go, Mmm, wow, very nice. And if you get good at it, then you get to be the designated prayer at all the holidays. You pray so well. Because though Jesus doesn't say it, we tend to, we'll laugh at it, but we tend to think God loves cheerful givers and really, really, really long prayers. And actually... He says the opposite. Before he introduces the Lord's Prayer, before he teaches us how to pray, he actually says, When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they'll be heard for what? There are many words. The more words, the more powerful. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, it's not true. And here's what's interesting. Not meaningless repetition. And then he gives the Lord's Prayer, and millions of people around the planet memorized it, and they say it every day. (laughs) Hello? Did you not listen to what Jesus said right before he said pray like this? Now, there's nothing wrong with memorizing the Lord's Prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer unless it becomes what? Meaningless repetition. If you can say it in your sleep, if you can say it without thinking it, you've missed the point. You see, prayer is a gift, not a duty, not an obligation, not a requirement. That you go, I know I should pray more. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. Instead of saying, I know I should pray more, what we really ought to say is, What's wrong with me? Whoa, Why don't I pray more? Why am I so chicken in public? Why do I have to get all worked up? Why do I have to pray? People like tell me in advance, hey, I'm going to need you to pray tomorrow night. Really? Like, you want me to be working on it? I'll show up. And if you ask me to pray, I'll pray. It's just that simple. I don't need to write it down. I don't need to craft it. I don't need to look at a thesaurus. Because that's not the power of prayer. The power of prayer is captured, and we're going to see it. The power of prayer is captured in how Jesus teaches us to pray. Not in the exact words. Because if it's really the exact words, then your prayer should be, according to the Lord's Prayer, 68 words in less than 25 seconds. Because that's the Lord's Prayer. 68 words less than 25 seconds. Now, some of you would go, that'd be awesome. Doug, if you would keep your prayers under 25 seconds, we'd all be better off. My kids tell me all the time. Especially when it's prayer when dedication to children, you pray so stinking long, dad. Well, it's not an exact time, it's not a number of characters, it's not tweetable prayers. Twain. Tweetable prayers, twain. It's the essence. So capture it. Pray in this way. Here's the, here's the spirit of prayer. Our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 68 words, less than 25 seconds. What's he getting at? Well, as I've tried to say, what's really on the heart of Jesus in how we pray, three things to the surface. First, that we would capture that prayer is the gift of privileged relationship. Prayer is the gift, again, not obligation, not duty, not something we have to check off the box. It's a gift, and it's a gift of privileged relationship. In other words, when we pray, we are praying to the God who is in heaven, this is straight from the prayer, the God who is in heaven, who is what? What's the descriptor of him? Who is holy, hallowed. Who is holy. But what's the privileged relationship? He is yeah, don't. I think maybe we, we've said it so many times. He is now Father. Sometimes I get frustrated because people who are not spiritual at all, who live totally ungodly lives in moments of crisis say, oh, praying for you. And I think, don't use that. that that's not right. You're not a prayer. And then I'd say, okay. Calm down. Is prayer a universal privilege? I'm afraid to answer. (laughs) You think prayer is a universal privilege? Absolutely, prayer is a universal privilege. It's just a matter of who you pray to. Because I could say, Dear microphone, (laughs) help me speak loudly today. Could you pray to a microphone? You could. People formed shapes out of woods and prayed to it. People carved stones and prayed to it. People made big heavy guys and prayed to Buddha. People prayed to deceased saints. Saints. So prayer is actually a universal privilege. What's the unique privilege for those who are born again? That we pray to our Father. Anything unique about our Father versus our microphone? Anything? There's a lot of unique things. One, our Father is where? Where? In heaven, and what's he like? Holy. None of those things true about that. And right before, again, he said, not a bunch of meaningless repetition, not long, 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 long prayers. He said this, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Microphone doesn't know that. Allah doesn't know that. Buddha doesn't know that. Deceased saints don't know that. Only the God of heaven who is holy knows what we need even before we ask. And so, we have have started our prayers with meaningless repetition. And I want to call us to a thoughtful appreciation when we go, real quickly, Father, that we stop long enough, just enough to go, Wow. The Holy One in heaven, Lord God Almighty, is Father. Is he Father to all? Sorry. No. He's not. He's creator of all. But the scripture says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Listen, Uh, God has our Father, who have believed in him, our Father has created every human being on the planet. He is creator of all, but only those who admit that they are guilty before a holy God and need of a savior and who believe that Jesus paid the penalty for their sin and as an act of humility receive it, not try to earn it, but receive it, only those move from created by God to children of God. And so I am super serious when I say to you, let's not miss the majesty, the incredible reality that you and I get to begin our prayer, our Father, Father. And let me also acknowledge this, that for some of you, Father is not a great memory, Your earthly father was ugly or mean or impatient or abusive, pushed you away and didn't want to listen. And it's easy to take the face of an earthly father and translate it to the face of God. And then make prayer or even relationship with the father kind of an unpleasant thought. And so, don't miss what Jesus is saying. Regardless of what your earthly father was like, we pray this way. Our father in heaven, not the one on earth, our father in heaven, who isn't ugly or mean or cruel or uncaring or not listening, our father in heaven who is holy. You see, it is the incredible privileged relationship that all of prayer is based on. And, and so for, for you and I to, to get into a small group or in a praise night or in our family group and, it, okay, let's pray, and it's like crickets. It's this whole, whoa, whoa, all we need to do is go, okay, talk to dad, It's a relationship, not an unknown far off dad, father who is heavenly and who is holy. He wants to hear. He already knows. He is without limitation in his power and his goodness and his love for us. Our father. That's the privileged relationship. Second. Second. Prayer is the gift of participating with our Father in an advancing kingdom. Prayer is the gift of participating, and this is key, in an advancing kingdom. Think of the prayer again. Our Father is in heaven. Holy is your name. Your Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, lead us, deliver us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. How long? Forever. So there is a participation. What Jesus is saying when he's telling us, hey, here's how I want you to pray. He's going, capture that you get to pray to the God of heaven as father. And you get to, with him now, participate in a, an advancing kingdom. And I say an advancing kingdom because there is an already true about this kingdom and a not yet regarding the kingdom. When it comes to the kingdom of God, there is an already and there is a not yet Looking at the already real quickly. The already is that the king has already been established, and he is Jesus. For every kingdom there is a king. And the father has appointed his son, the Lord Jesus, as king of the kingdom. That's already fully functioning in heaven, but is not yet fully functioning on earth. In Philippians 2, it says, For this reason also, God highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. He gets the king name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the kingdom has a king, and his name is Jesus. And as the king, Jesus has the authority in the kingdom has already been given to him he has the authority that's why he says just before he ascends back into heaven off of this planet he says all authority has been given to me it wasn't his it was the father's and the father gave it to him when he made him king in response to his obedience even to the point of death on a cross King Jesus says, I have all authority. Where? In heaven and on earth. And here's what I want to do with it. I want to send you. Go therefore. I have all authority. I am sending you. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I, the king, am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, the authority of the kingdom has already been given to Jesus, who is king. And as king, he has sent his ambassadors in his name. Now, don't miss this. Why is he sending out his ambassadors in his name? Oh, see, we've made a disconnect. Matthew 28 that we just read is called the Great Commission. Matthew 6, we were looking at the Lord's Prayer. Do you understand that the Lord's Prayer is being fulfilled in the Great Commission? What did he pray back here? Your kingdom come. Your will be done, where? On earth, as it's already being done on heaven. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. See, they're not separate thoughts. Jesus is simply, before he leaves the planet, saying, you are the answer to the prayer that I taught you to pray back in Matthew chapter 6. Have you ever put them together? That this is the answer. Ambassadors being sent is the answer to his will being done on earth as it already is in heaven. Because in heaven, the glory of the kingdom is already fully realized. Is the will of God being done fully in heaven? Yes or no? Fully, yes. Where is the will of God not yet fully being done? on earth. See there is the already and there is the not yet regarding the kingdom. And the not yet regarding the kingdom is that the will of God is not fully being done on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. So, <laughs> funny question. This will sound stupid. Does everybody know Jesus in heaven? Yes. Nobody in heaven's going. Jesus? Who's Jesus? No. <laughs> All authority has been given to him. He sits on the throne in heaven. He is fully, completely, already known by every soul in heaven. How about earth? See, not yet. The not yet is that not all have yet heard of Jesus as Savior. Everybody in heaven has, but not all on earth have. That's why he simply said, pray like this. Pray that the kingdom would advance. How? Well, like it's already fully advanced into heaven. That's how I want to advance it on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations so that the will of God would be fully accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. Not all on earth have yet heard of Jesus as Savior. How many not yets are there? How many? Well, it's estimated that of the 7.1 billion people alive in the world today, 2.91 billion of them Live in an unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel. Just under 3 billion people have not even heard of Jesus. I I don't know what to pray about. (laughs) Let's pray. I don't know what to pray about. Jesus says, whoa, pray, pray like this. Our Father who's in heaven, you're holy. I want your kingdom to come here like it's already happening there. Everybody in heaven knows Jesus. And there's billions of people here who don't know him, who have never even heard of him. So a couple of weeks ago, I'm having lunch with a guy who is in a place in his life where he looks like he can make an occupational transition. And he's saying, just trying to pray through this, Doug, any, any thoughts for me as I look at this? And I encouraged him. I said, I think what you ought to do is ask yourself this. You know what your gifts are. You already know what you're good at. You're not a 19-year-old in your 40s. You know what you're good at. What you ought to ask yourself is this. What's happening on the planet that God can't stand and you can't stand either? In other words, what's happening in heaven that's not happening on earth that absolutely drives you crazy and how could you make a difference? He said, well, that's a big question. I have to give it some thought. So yesterday I got his email. Here's my first thoughts. What breaks my heart the most, and he didn't use this stat, but the unreached people of our planet, people who haven't rejected Jesus, they've never heard of Jesus. And then he said this. He said, Doug, I realized I have three children. And if my three kids had never heard of Jesus, I would do everything within my capabilities for them to hear. It would be the worst thing on the planet, in my mind, as their dad, to think that they would die having never even heard of Jesus. I was really super struck by that email yesterday. Because I can get lost in 2.91 billion people. But if you start talking about your kids or your siblings or your family, and if that was them, now that's real people. And so we don't need crickets when it's time to pray. (laughs) Let's pray together. God, you're holy in heaven, you're my Father, and I want what's happening where you are to happen here. And that begins with people who have never heard hearing about Jesus. Jesus, we looked at this a few weeks ago. Jesus says in Matthew, the harvest is plentiful, workers are few. And it struck me. Was he talking about then or now? Well, what was he talking He was clearly then talking about then. But the then remains true now, yes? Yeah. The then definitely remains true now. In fact, the harvest might be more plentiful now than it even was then. So what did he say to do? Therefore, beseech. What's that mean? Because you probably don't beseech much. It means you simply ask. What we would call, hey, pray. If the harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Ask God, the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest. Now, I'm, I'm hoping you're putting together some scripture that may be separated in your mind. How do you pray? Oh, you didn't, don't need a bunch of words. <laughs> just start with Father. That's the key relationship. And then just ask that what's happening in heaven would happen on earth. Ah. So ask, because on earth there's a big harvest and not many, ask for more workers. Oh. <laughs> And so I'm sending you out as ambassadors, filling you with my spirit so that you would be the answer to accomplishing on earth what is already happening in heaven. You see how the scripture ties together? The Lord's prayer is not some isolated thing to memorize and repeat meaninglessly. It is the heart of God expressed through all of scripture. And he wants us as his family, his children because we've believed in him. We've received him. He dwells within us. He wants us to have our heart beat with the same love and the same passion that his beats with. And that is what's happening in heaven, what happen on the planet. That's how we pray. With this second reality. Not only have not all heard, not all have yet bowed to Jesus as Lord. You see, there are some, in fact, many who have heard but not bowed, And I make this distinction for this reason. When they bow, ah, then the will of God is happening on the earth like it's already happening in heaven. Because that's what happens in heaven. People bow and worship Jesus in heaven. When that happens on the earth, then that's the Lord's prayer being answered. You with me? So our prayer deal in this part. Our part in this deal, excuse me, our deal in this part. Our part in this deal is that we get to be the sent ambassadors, whether that's sent home, sent to school, sent to work. We get to be the sent ones who declare Jesus has paid the penalty. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. We get to declare it. It's his responsibility to bring people to the end of themselves so that they will bow. See, I can't make my kids bow to Jesus. I can tell them about Jesus, but only he can bring them to the end of themselves. You can't make your kids bow. You can't make your spouse bow. You can't make your coworkers bow. You can't make your neighbors bow. Your role is to tell them so that though... As everyone knows about Jesus in heaven, everyone in your world would know about Jesus on the planet. And then it's his role to bring them to the end of themselves so that as we'll bow forever in heaven, we'll bow on earth. You with me? See, it's the heart of God. It's how we pray. We're not making up stuff. We're not trying to think of stuff. We know what's on the heart of God, and that's what comes out of our mouths because that's what's in our heart, because that's what's in his heart. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. What a, what a, what a change. It's like, Jesus, you need a little more words, more transitions. It's shifting without a clutch in your prayer. It's awkward. I mean, kingdom, daily bread? That's what he says, though. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why this? Watch. We need this to be provided for us so that what's happening in heaven would be happening on earth. All that Jesus is saying here is want what I want and then ask for me, declare your dependence upon me to get what you need to be a part of the advancing kingdom. Prayer is the gift of simply saying, hey, we're dependent upon you. This is not complicated. Let me say it this simply. If I'm going to be a sent ambassador, I need some grub daily. I need some food, right? And I'm being silly here. We live in such an abundant culture that we forget that there are many in our world who are dependent on daily bread to be able to survive that day to be a part of the advancing kingdom. We have pantries full of stuff that we forget we have a declared dependence that if the spiritual is going to happen on the planet, then I need some nourishment and eat daily bread. And so the first of three core issues we're dependent upon is physical provision. Right, later, right after, Jesus teaches them to pray. Minutes later, then he says, uh, don't worry then what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what we'll wear for clothing. Uh, why not? Those are like basic to life. That's not like saying, don't worry if it rains. That's like saying, don't worry if I don't eat. Why? Why not worry? For the Gentiles that eagerly seek all these things, your heavenly father knows that you Do you need all these things? Huh. So that's twice Jesus said, in the context of praying, God already knows. So have you ever concluded, well, why ask? In fact, I, I don't ask the Lord for anything. He already knows. Is that super spiritual? No, that's super disobedient. Because Jesus said, Hey, guess what? Your father already knows, and then what'd he say? Asking. The fact that he knows is not a discouragement to pray. It's an encouragement to pray. But why do we have to ask if he already knows? Because if you ask, what are you acknowledging? I'm acknowledging need, and need is an admission of dependence and humility and so we can sound super spiritual but it's probably super pride because there's lots of us that are too proud to ask and the asking is the humbly acknowledging so let me humbly acknowledge something for you as a body We have a spiritual family physical provision need. I don't know if you've been noticing. Think of daily bread, weekly bread, annual bread. For all of the work of the ministry that happens, children through adult and this campus and everything going on, the elders said, "We have a weekly need of about 54." And last week, we got 75. Sweet, extra bed bread for the pantry. Except that's not been the norm. If you do the math, I'll do it for you, we're about $132,000 behind our budget for the year. And that's just humbling to admit before you. Because nobody wants to stand up and go, hey, we have a need. And so actually as elders, we almost talked ourselves out of, we said, well, the Lord's already provided and the Lord knows. We don't need to ask. wrong. We do. Now, you may go, yeah, but you should be asking God, not us. We are. We're asking the Lord. But thus far, he has never sent money falling from heaven. Thus far, he has sent money to your pockets. Seriously. And then he worked in your heart so that you would pass it on for the annual bread of this ministry. And so we are asking the Lord to work in our hearts and in your hearts for daily bread. Some of you who are involved in full-time ministry, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the humbling to acknowledge. I, I need. So it's, it's never fun to ask. I do so in the confidence. Father, Father, Dad's always provided for CFC. And he already knows. But I don't bail and then go, okay, then I don't need to stand up and ask. No, I ask. And we will trust, genuinely trust how our Father works in our midst. Second, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Most of scripture says to forgive as you've been forgiven. This one says forgive us as we forgive others. So let me ask you a question. Are you prepared for God to forgive you to the extent that you forgive other people? Uh, His point is simply this. Jesus assumes... That because we've been forgiven, what will we do? We will forgive as we've been forgiven. Forgive us as we forgive others. Because, in other words, if we're children, if the heavenly, holy Father is Father to us, then we have been Granted forgiveness that we didn't earn and we don't deserve. And so, having been graciously given forgiveness, how would we ever withhold it from somebody else? Forgive us as we forgive others. But often, that isn't the case. And I simply want to acknowledge for us that... Physical provision is as important to our our physical body and relational unity. Forgive us as we forgive others. See, lack of forgiveness is a reflection of brokenness. And Jesus is saying on my heart is that you'll have what you need physically and that you'll be who you need to be relationally. There is no greater stain on the body of Christ. Watch. There's no greater stain than brokenness because it defies at core who we are, forgiven, one. But then when there's brokenness in your marriage or brokenness in your family and there's bitterness being held between folks, church, there's no greater stain. Because what marks us most is this. We've been freely forgiven. Not because we earned it. Not because we deserved it. Because God graciously did it for us. How would we withhold what's been so graciously given? Colossians 3 uh, says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So actually, all we need is All we need is, you don't want to say it because it sounds like a song or what? (laughs) All we need is, right? Well, technically, yes. If all we needed was love and all we did was love, we wouldn't need forgiveness. So love is the greatest, except the reality is you and I don't love perfectly, so do, we don't have the perfect bond of unity. You know, I did a wedding yesterday downtown. Simply had to say to them, on their wedding day, how rude. On their wedding And I said, you guys love each other like mad right now, but it's not going to be that way every day the rest of your life. <laughs> so you're not going to have a perfect bond of unity. The test of your relationship and the test of every marriage in here is not how perfect you are. It's how quick you are to forgive. That's the true test of every marriage in this room. Not your perfection, but your forgiveness. Because none of us love perfectly. It's whether we will give what we have so freely been given. If you're withholding forgiveness this morning from somebody, spouse, family member, church member, person at work, if you're withholding it, stop it. Look to the cross, remember what you've been forgiven, and say, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. God has graciously forgiven me. You are off the hook because I've been taken off the hook. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's be clear God does not tempt, God delivers. He delivers us from evil. He doesn't tempt us. Uh, Satan tempts me, the world tempts me, and I tempt me. Do you know you tempt you? You probably tempt you more than Satan tempts you. (laughs) Satan doesn't need to tempt you because you tempt you so much. So God doesn't tempt us. He actually delivers us. He Like he provides for us daily bread, like he has provided for us the opportunity by forgiveness to have relational unity, he has provided for us spiritual vitality, life, spiritual victory, spiritual deliverance from evil that we can walk in newness of life. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. Don't close up. Look up here if you would, please. In the most succinct way, here's the true knowledge of him. God has loved you by the sending of his son to pay the penalty for the sin which you and I have committed so that we could be forgiven. The death of Jesus on the cross was so that you and I could be forgiven and restored to relationship with God. And God raised him from the dead so that as he was raised from the dead, we can not only be forgiven, but walk in newness of life. Not just trying to live a better life, but to walk in newness of life. It's what Matt shared in leading us in worship this morning here in South, that he recognized the Holy Spirit was just not convictor. The Holy Spirit was enabler. His divine power, the Spirit of God in us, gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He does that by the indwelling Spirit as you present yourself to him. Now go back and we're done. With physical provision, food, with relational unity, by your forgiveness of one another, and with the spiritual vitality, Jesus gives us all that we need so that what will happen? (laughs) What's happening in heaven will happen on earth. That's the gift of prayer. And we're going to do it tonight. I hope you'll come at 6.30. Father, I pray that you would grow us in this gift. And all the formality and all the fear would be gone. And we'd just get your heart and talk to you plainly. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thanks for being here. See you tonight.